Welcome back to part two of the Revenge of the Birds podcast and our breakdown of the 2019 NFL Draft. Again, be sure to like and subscribe if you haven't already. Definitely, yeah. I've, I'm. I think a lot of it for the the story of drafting the local kid, getting him with that next spot. That's kind of what we got to see already with Byron Murphy, and this is kind of where the pro football focus kind of talk comes in. I know that we did conversation earlier. I'd sent out a tweet saying that when Steve Kime had said he'd install an analytics department, usually we always have a guy who's doing analytics. Like if you're not having no one do it, then you're obviously going to be way behind the time. Someone at least is going to have interest on that. But putting it in a department means you've got people who are in charge and are responsible for it or delivering it different type of reports and from we looked at with the draft it was obviously as we've talked about like you know the jokes have been there it was like that that was the cardinals draft board so with getting a guy like byron murphy who uh, it was interesting john of how the picks fell was uh, i went that night after i think it was pick pick 12 i want to say at least i basically got into the theater just as about enough time to see dwayne haskins you know get picked by the uh, washington redskins at pick 15 to go and see wow him. that's crazy i know right it was like right there i just like walked out as soon as like i think it was the last trailer or something like that one checked my phone real quick and up oh, there's haskins he's gone to, going to the skins at 15 so i went into the theater came back out looked at the players who were there and looked and saw in the keel was at 32 like oh he went one pick before them and then i looked to see okay who's best available who didn't get taken wait where's by Byron Murphy, and I was looking inside DeAndre Baker. It's like, okay, he was the second cornerback taken. <laughs> then I went back and checked again. Went, no, he was the first corner taken, huh? And that was when Byron Murphy was there. It stuck out like a sore thumb. That was where it was like, oh, well, you know, you had guys like Cody Ford, you had other guys who were there, but there wasn't going to be a player who was there that was going to start this year, John. Like Cody Ford, he would have started as a backup. Maybe you work him in if a guy goes down or gets hurt. Maybe he ends up beating someone out, but it was a spot where he probably wasn't going to beat out a veteran for the most part. And when you look at what Byron Murphy brought to be able to slide right in, and I, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Cardinals got Tremaine Brock, still probably needed to draft a corner someday on the draft to be able to bring in. They got the probably the top corner in the draft, a guy who's got terrific ball skills. Uh, he's kind of like a, almost a cornerback version of uh, the Cardinals' current pick in Buda Baker, except he's got a lot more takeaways. He's a local kid who grew up in Scottsdale. He and DJ Foster and uh, I believe it was Christian Kirk all went to the same high school. I believe went to the same high school. Now, uh, DJ Foster went a few years before them. It would have been crazy if they were there at the same time. But you're talking about like this incredibly, some of the most talented Arizona athletes ever. Byron Murphy, there wasn't really a close pick to him. Cardinals, I know they, it sounded like they may have fielded a call or two, but there wasn't anyone who was kind of desperate to trade up. And when we're talking about identity, John, he fits the Cardinals perfectly in the fact of that he can take that Chris Harris type of slot corner role that we saw with Vance Joseph, slide right in there and start away, being able to uh, take the ball away. And if you take a look at some of the games that he played, I think of this last year with Washington versus Utah. You watch that game. They didn't even target his side of the field. When they did target it, they targeted it, it uh, I believe it was three times. The first time, you know, he was in close coverage. One of the other safeties, jar, I believe it may have been Taylor Rapp, jarred the ball out. It's kind of a combination of the, car, the wide receiver getting squished. Second time, it was a deep comeback route where the wide receiver fumbled the ball. It pops up in the air. Byron returns at 60 yards the other way for a touchdown. Then the third throw that they had that was targeted at him, it was another interception that he just picked the ball right right off at least without isolated where it was read the route before the receiver did ran it back for a few yards the other way it was just dominant win so you're talking about a guy who even though he was a bit more of they're going to have some zone corner that'll play he can play zone or man he's going to fit very well and because of his size he can play on the outside but i think he'll slide right into that slot role and you know you're in nickel about 75 percent of the time 
with all the teams running all these wide receivers and tight ends and everything out there. So for me, this is kind of that slam dunk pick of you, you thought this guy was going to be gone in like, you know, the first 15 picks, maybe he slides into the twenties. He's for sure not going to slide to day two. And he was right there for the taking Cardinals nabbed him up. I love this pick overall, John, because I, I it's not that there's like a, any player who can be bust proof, but he's about as close as it gets. And he fits their scheme that they had so well. I'm happy that he gets to come back to the Arizona Cardinals team up with his old teammate, Buda Baker. And obviously his pat- favorite player is Patrick Peterson. Maybe that's something you can smooth over the rough patches that we talked about with the drama that came up over the last week of the, just leading up to the draft. What did you think of Byron, John? Well, I had mixed feelings, as you know, because I don't love taking corners this high when you have a number one corner in place, when you are rebuilding from scratch. Um, But here's what I'll say. Um, And I put this out on Twitter. Um, I think the Cardinals put positional value aside. Um, Not that corner isn't important. Um, It's not like tight end, which some people feel like is a luxury position or that kind of thing. But... I think they had such a high grade on Byron Murphy and they came out and said, would they have a top 10 or 12 grade on Byron Murphy with something ridiculous? Um, even though they, they leaked it out during the day, they were going to take him to just to kind of, to gauge the trade waters. Um, they felt so strongly about him as a, as a prospect, like you just mentioned, a surefire prospect that they had to take him. And I think a lot of teams in the second half of the first round, probably tried to outthink the room a little bit. I mean, the New York Giants taking DeAndre Baker over Byron Murphy is a joke. Um, The Oakland Raiders taking Jonathan Abram at safety. I know they don't play the same position is a joke. I mean, we've seen, you know, Atlanta secondary not to consider him. So here's what I'll say. I have seen comparisons and I think the most dead on comparison is Brent Grimes, Brent Grimes, who a lot of people associate him with his wife's blow up. Don't put that aside for a second. Brent Grimes went to the Pro Bowl four times. He was a second team All Pro. He won a Super Bowl. He was a really good player. He's in the Hall of Very Good, not a Hall of Fame player, Hall of Very Good. Um, somebody who was a very nice player over the course of his seven, eight, nine, ten year career. I don't know how many years he played. Um, had a lot of great, great moments. Thirty three interceptions. Uh, you know three defensive touchdowns. I just remember him always being around the ball, super physical. That is the comp for Byron Murphy. Cardinals get that. They've hit a home run. I will say this. I will not compare. You asked me the question, are they going to regret Nikhil Harry? No, but I will say Byron Murphy, in my opinion, is going to be compared to several offensive linemen that the Cardinals passed on. Mm -hmm. And if Byron Murphy does not pan out, and somebody like, I think Greg Little was way too high at pick 37 for Carolina. But if, if Cody Ford, who Kyler Murray kind of um, in his opening press conference with the team on Friday, basically openly recruited saying, I would love it if they pick Cody Ford. I don't get to pick. But it just kind of people feel savage. People on Twitter, it was basically saying it's a match made in heaven. It should happen. The Cardinals were awful up front last year. Yeah. To pass on Cody Ford, and I know you mentioned he wouldn't be a starter. I, I think eventually he would somebody like Dalton Reisner, but here's the thing. Steve Kime mentioned this. I, I tend to agree with him to some extent. There was a run on linemen at the end of the first round. We saw Andre Dillard go way too late, but Titus Howard, Bradbury went in the first round. Lindstrom went into the first round. A lot of guys who we thought would be fringe first rounders went early. And then several guys were overdrafted. 
Jawan Taylor had a knee, and I don't think they wanted to touch that. They were in a tough spot because clearly outside of how much I like Cody Ford, the rest of the league clearly didn't like him that much. He went 39, right? He was like the fifth or sixth tackle taken. Mm-hmm. And so you put positional value aside, Kime just basically flat out said when he got questioned on it at the press conference, I think it was Friday or Saturday, they were not going to reach for an offensive lineman. They did not have an offensive lineman worth taking at pick 33. I think they would have explored it in two ways. Had they gotten pick 48 from Miami Dolphins, I have it on good reason they would have taken Max Sharping from Northern Illinois. They liked him. They worked him out. They wanted him. I think that's who would have been the pick at pick 48. We like Andy Isabella. Hopefully it works out. Saints traded up. The Dolphins screwed the Cardinals, and and um, and Max ended up going, um, I believe, to the Houston Texans later on with pick fifty five. Houston is similar position. Mobile quarterback gets his brains beat in. They taking two rounds. Something else do next year. But with that being said, you know I want to focus on on Byron. I think this is this is not my player comp, but I think this is what Byron Murphy has to be. For you to take him, pick 33 over all the available talent, how terrible you were offensively to pass up, you know, multiple edge rushers and and whatever, um, positional value means something to me. And you have Patrick Peterson. You spent a lot of money on Robert Alford. You are, you score, I talk about every week, you scored 13 points per game last year and you took a corner who's probably going to be your number three corner when the season starts. He, he has to be the equivalent of, of somebody like Darius Slay for the Detroit Lions, whereas he's not, I don't know if he'll ever be elite. Probably will never be just, you know, statistics say he's never going to be a top three to five corner, but he has to be a low end number one corner in this league. He cannot be a fringe good player. He has to be somebody that is underrated, considered for a pro ball every other year, you know, a top 10 corner in this league for you to tout him as a top 12 player in this draft. Clearly somebody you would have felt comfortable taking in the first round had you had an additional first round pick. He, he's got lofty expectations, but I think he comes from the right kind of program. Clearly, that with a pedigree, we, we've seen that with Buda Baker. His, his statistics, his measurables, his grade from pro football focus, checks all the boxes. But a lot of teams passed on him. Again, I think that a lot of teams just you know aren't very smart at the tail end of the first round. And the Cardinals got tremendous value. But he's got, in my opinion, not as much uh, you know uh, pressure as, as Kyler Murray does. But I, I'm going to look at that pick in three or five years, and uh, I, I need him to pan out. Yeah, and some of it is if he does hit that mark that you're talking about, John, it'll be like well, well worth it at the 33rd overall pick because it's hard to find those type of guys. So, Absolutely. And uh, I think that it's interesting with Pro Football Focus ranking him as you know as the number six overall player because they took a look at for a lot of what they measured production as far as for coverage, but also being able to create kind of game changing plays. That was part of the reason why Tyron Matthew was you know considered so great for the Cardinals is because you'd always be able to count on him to have like a game winning pass breakup or he'd get an interception at the right time. So uh, if he's got a nose for the football, I think it'll be well worth it. And um, one of the things why I was okay with it, John, was not only just because of what I felt that the sheer talent level was in comparison to everyone else. Like, as I said, it's kind of like a sore thumb. But we're also looking at the needs the Cardinals have. If we're looking at this as a one-year type of fix where, hey, like you got to win next year or, you know, 
Kime's done, Cliff is done, everyone's out, then it would have been a different case. If you're looking at this as potentially a two-year fix of having to get a lot of the dead money off the books, move in with the new guy, the new scheme, and still trying to win more games than last year, then I think it makes a bit more sense as far as saying, hey, we're not going to focus on position. We've got a need here for another corner because right now we've got Peterson, we've got Alford, we've got safeties, but don't got anyone else. Like, yeah, I even talked to you. I said, gosh, you've got if the Cardinals didn't get another slot corner somewhere in the draft, their competition would have been in the fall would have been a 30-year-old banged-up Tremaine Brock holding off a Brandon Williams at the slot corner position. That would have not been a good good battle at all. So that's where I'm fine with them going for talent. You're talking about what the draft it is, the long-term approach. You can kind of find guys to plug and play if you need be. Um, but yeah, I agree. It was one an interesting case of the Cardinals effect, effectively because you had guys like, like you said, Taylor, Little, Ford, even a guy like a Dalton Risner, uh, the top safety like Elton Jenkins mm-hmm. was there as well. So that was interesting. Now, let's talk a bit about pick 48. You mentioned kind of with looking at Max Sharping. He's a guy who I agree the Cardinals would have had some interest in. The name that I thought would have fallen the name I think that they would have looked at was the guy who went at pick 48, which was Eric McCoy, the center out of Texas A&M. Uh, experience yep. in a spread offense, snapping the football out of the shotgun. Uh, it'll, it'll, I think part of the reason why I'm pretty sure this probably would have been the guy that they were targeting when they traded would have traded with Rosen for the Dolphins is partially because you take a look at the next offensive lineman that they drafted at the position. I think that'll tell you a little bit about what the Cardinals were looking for. Uh, we'll get into that, but I think that he was the guy who they would have taken at pick 48. Instead, they moved back down, at least for the most part. That would have been kind of a spot where you take him, he's your starting center um, in competition, maybe with AQ Shipley, uh, but you would have probably moved and kicked Mason Cole out to guard um, that's where I think the Cardinals, what they were looking for was that type of identity to be able to find a guy who fits with Cliff's offense. Uh, that was something that was different from Mason Cole. You wanted that positional flexibility. You can then throw guys at the line. Hey, someone gets hurt. Well, fantastic. Uh, Bill Belichick does it all the time where a guy, you know, a guard goes down suddenly, you know, his tackle flips into guard. They put a new tackle out there and suddenly you've got your Trent Brown taking care of and getting paid. It's just one of the reasons what they do well with coaching. It'll be fascinating to see now that the Cardinals have reportedly a good offensive line coach for the first time, you know, that they've, you know, maybe since we've seen some cases with Arians and veterans, but there's still some troubles that we saw later with, uh, you know, with Zerline did a fantastic job. I think overall he was maybe got a little long in the tooth by the end of it. No, no fault of his own. Honestly, he was an NFL legend for such a long time. That to me would have been the pick. I think the Cardinals would have gotten afterwards. It would have been, you know, strange for people to be like, Hey, you just drafted, you know, a center and a wide receiver last year. And, quarterback and now you're drafting a quarterback center and a wide receiver it just backs up the fact that the cardinals in 2018 had a really big downturn so now let's move and talk this is where kind of the prediction that i had been put out for a while I talked about it you know about a month ago cardinals guys on the rise up sea red podcast also talked about it for a while this would be the second pick with josh rosen in the second round of pick 62 andy isabella so a lot of cardinals fans wanted hollywood brown to be paired with uh, Kyler Murray, if the Cardinals did go for Kyler Murray, he had that connection from college, the deep ball, the route running, um, even at the small size. I think that Andy Isabella essentially is maybe not, I wouldn't even say a discount Kyler Murray, or a discount, excuse me, discount Marquise Brown to go with Kyler Murray. I think he's even a safer option in terms of the fact that you're talking about the same athletic profile without having to worry about the small 170-pound size and without having to worry about having the um, – the surgery that he had as far as with it wasn't the plantar fasciitis, but it was the, uh, the tendon that he had with uh, Marquise Brown where he tore and wasn't able to participate at the combine. You're talking about the most productive wide receiver in college football last year. 
um, highest graded pro football focus season, which is part of where we were able to kind of predict that pick. You also have two guys on the Cardinal staff who coached him up at UMass previously. Uh, they're offensive line coach and I was actually the wide receivers coach at UMass and there's been a a lot of interesting feedback to this pick because some people said they like the Cardinals next wide receiver better than Andy Isabella some people went to the senior bowl warden as impressed for that one overall Uh, this was a pick that I actually like was hoping would happen around this set I thought it'd be at the top of third round maybe the Cardinals plan it's unfortunate because if the Cardinals had gone Kyler uh, you know, had gotten, you know, whether it was Nikhil or uh, Byron Murphy or, you know, dressed an offensive line, I would have gotten pretty close in the number of picks that I had gotten for my final Cardinals mock draft overall. But talk a little bit about Isabella, John, because this is kind of the guy who's a speed demon. Most people view him as a slot receiver. I think that he's more than that potentially. What are your thoughts, at least on Andy Isabella and the story behind that player? Well, it's it's somebody that they've been keen on for some time. I think that they had targeted him with the first pick of the third round had they not had the Dolphins second round pick. I think had he still been around, that would have been the pick, but they wanted to assure themselves. We talked about the sweet spot, Blake, uh, in previous podcasts that he went right around where we, he thought he would as between six seventy five. He was a late second, early third round pick ended up going pick 62. Um, and has been doubted fairly consistently his entire life on the football field because he's undersized, very similar to the quarterback they took first overall. But I think has a very low, um, or excuse me, has a very high floor. Uh, some would argue he's got a low ceiling. I wouldn't say that. I think that his four two four three speed speaks for itself. Um, you know, a lot of his skeptics are comparing him to like Philip Dorsett. I see a combination of a couple different guys. I think he's got a little Deshaun Jackson in him. I know people like to compare Hollywood Brown to Deshaun Jackson. Mm-hmm. Andy Isabella had the best deep route rating via pro football focus of anybody in the draft. And it was I, fair, by a fairly large margin. I mean, he's not a little underneath possession receiver. He's not a Adam Humphreys or whatever. He is a deep ball receiver who can also make you know intermediate catches, has tremendous hands, He's a big time competitor. His route running is elite. Um, his acceleration is off the charts. He gashed Georgia for like 15 catches, 220 yards, and two touchdowns. <laughs> they couldn't stop him. Oh my god! You have any comments yeah. on, that on the radio? They were like, they're targeting Andy Isabella on every play, and Georgia still can't stop him. <laughs> and it was just yeah. yeah. If you've got any concerns about him playing, you know, quality competition. I mean, how many pros is? Uh, the the Raiders quarter, excuse me, the Giants quarterback DeAndre Baker did not have a good game. Let's just say against Andy Isabella, he went how many picks before him? Uh, and that's just the perception. Andy Isabella, little white guy. Uh, he, that's how Steve Kime referred to him. Um, he's five nine, one hundred and eighty five pounds. He's from a, a non traditional power to say the least. Went to UMass, um, which is I I don't know if they're one A or one double A. I think. Uh, they're part of the, let me double check here. The conference they're in, I think is the college of football, all American team. And, and he, I don't know, he, they're either one A or one double A. So they're not D two. Um, but I, I would have to double check the conference yeah, that they play in. That uh, should be, I think it's FBS and FCS at least for that one. So that's where, you yeah, are they in F they might be FCS, but yep. regardless, 
Um, he had the most receiving yards in college football last year, like 1,700 yards receiving, ridiculous uh, amount of times he, he touched the football, had over 100 receptions, um, 14 touchdowns. I mean, he, he just he's somebody that is uh, a, not a contributor, but he makes plays. He, he, he has an impact every time uh, he steps on the football field. He is somebody that, at the end of the day, is going to give you And the Cardinals are getting for a late second round pick, somebody who's going to be elite receiver. I don't think that's fair to say. I think the Cardinals would be happy with him. If he eventually turned into a quality number two receiver opposite uh, Christian Kirk, who we feel like could be a low end number one receiver. Isabella could be that intermediate to, to deep threat in this offense. Somebody who could have anywhere between on a given year, 800, to 1200 receiving yards I've seen comparisons to Julian Edelman. I think clearly he's faster than Julian Edelman, but I think he is incredibly difficult after the catch like Edelman is. He's got a a very thick lower body, big hands. Uh, I think he's got a little Cooper Cup to his game. Um, He's incredibly shifty at the point of attack. Um, I think he's going to be an instant contributor. You do not have to worry about this guy seeing targets next year. I think he's going to be, I think he immediately slides in as their third best receiver. Um, and he, the Cardinals are going to run with Cliff Kingsbury, four wide receiver sets with two, essentially two inside receivers. They won't call them slot receivers. They'll call them underneath receivers. You would assume right now that those will be Andy Isabella and Christian Kirk. I, I don't know if they'll supplement Larry in the outside, maybe in one of those inside spots, maybe a little bit at, you know, de facto tight end. I don't think they're going to run a lot of tight end. And then that other outside receiver we're going to talk about, but I, I, can you imagine Kirk? And Isabel, with their combined speed, their explosiveness, with Kyler Murray, the quick to inter- intermediate passing game, running David Johnson out of the shotgun, play action, hitting these guys deep. Uh, I think it's a you've you've been talking. I'll give you credit, Blake. You've been talking about it for weeks on end, and um, it, it was something when it went across the screen. You know, I just had to to nod in, in approval that that you that you called this one. So this is this is your moment in the sun, man. Oh yeah, that earlier in the day, I actually wrote down on a sticky note. I wish I'd taken a photo and posted it because I would have been so I would have I would have gotten so many retweets. But I had a sticky note I wrote down just like in the draft day movie, Andy Isabella, no matter what, just because I was sold on the fact that he would be a fantastic fit for Arizona. As far as if you're talking about with looking how the Chiefs used Tyreek Hill of being able to talk about, you know, when you're using like the RPO or the the handoffs where a player is able to run, take the handoff around, just like we saw with Cooper Cup. But the fact that he was deep when you're talking about like, you know, the UMass didn't really have like, you know, a stronger and even an NFL ready quarterback, but they had a good deep game because he would be able to separate deep and he just was able to function whether it was in the slot or even outside. And so that was kind of the big question. Some people looked at the size and were like, is this a guy who's going to be able to line up outside? So the comp that I kind of looked at was T.Y. Hilton. You look at a similar size. Similar production at a small college, another FCS school, I believe, as well. And then he came in and had a quarterback that just fit like a glove right away, was able to catch a lot of deep yards and being able to run routes, like we said. So I think that he's going to be a guy who's going to be a obviously instant impact. And because of how Kyler's arm and how that will work and because of how he's just so good deep, I think that he'll be able to have a quick year one impact, at least where you're talking about a guy who – you know, you have to kind of just keep a hat on or watch where he's going to be. What's interesting is that there was a lot of people who, you know, whether they were like, hey, I didn't like his game as much, or maybe they looked at for the questions. I think that there is some things that he may be able to like, you know, the question about, about getting off the press. I don't think there's going to be nearly as much of a concern given the type of offense Cliff Kingsbury is going to be running. The fact that he'll be able to get moved around 
Um, what was interesting was a lot of the criticism people had was they said, oh, when I saw him at the senior bowl, like there were struggles that he had, there were drops that we got to see at least for that one. And I, I just felt like it was kind of, it turned me off at the time where the biggest thing that I would kind of push back on that is not only is it just, you know, having to get used to the fact that he got put into the slot and he'd been mostly in outside receiver, he played all over the formation, but he had to then kind of spend a lot of the week working on his route running and the pressure. When you look at what happened in the game itself, he had seven catches for 77 yards and a touchdown. Every single one of those catches he had was for a first down or was for a touchdown. He just slipped right by most of those guys, got separation where he was open. So I think it's like there's some concerns that are going to be there. Uh, he didn't really have any type of, for the most part, drop rate concerns. And I feel like he's a guy who ended at that point of the draft. I feel like he's going to be a steal mostly because of how he's going to fit and because you didn't have to pay like, you know, a – 25th overall for Hollywood Brown, where he had a higher production level than Hollywood Brown did over at Oklahoma. If he'd been at a big school, can't help but wonder if that would have been a guy who would have been a bigger, uh, a bigger impact. And he's uh, got a reputation for being one of the hardest working players that you'll see. So I, I, I think the Cardinals at least may have gotten a huge, uh, huge steal with this guy. You take a look at just how excited Cliff Kingsbury himself was like, you know, some people are like, Hey, Absolutely. you look like you're more excited than Kyler Murray. And I'm like, well, duh. I mean, he, he knew he was going to get Kyler Murray. They were picking first. They didn't know if they were going to get Andy Isabella. They made the trade. It was one before the Seahawks picked. Seahawks probably were going to take DK Metcalf anyhow, but you didn't know considering with their love for Tyler Lockett, if that was kind of a pick that they made in front of him. I, I had a really just an awesome feel for Isabella as being a guy who the Cardinals will take, and he's going to just be able to have an instant impact from day one because of not just the speed, but just because of everything he's going to bring to the table. And you honestly had a huge need like John, even though we talked about Christian Kirk being a deep threat, he's still a guy who ran, you know, the four, four speed. This is a guy who's ran the low four threes and was hoping he could break into the four twos. And, you know, as we talked about cornerbacks, just weren't able to guard him for the most part at all in college. Uh, just crazy amount of production that's there. A lot of people are like, you know, who really are studied in the analytics or even in the fantasy community are just kind of thrilled to have him and Kyler paired. In fact, you didn't have to, you know, Take him at 33. You didn't have to trade up for him. You got him with the 67th pick is part of why I like this. Uh, let's, let's move on and talk about Zach Allen, and then we'll move a little bit into some PFF discussion because this was kind of the point where a lot of Cardinals fans started to kind of put two and two together. This was another need that we kind of briefly mentioned, John, was that the Cardinals maybe needed a five technique to be on the line. The pick kind of got solved when Rodney Gunter came back, but this is kind of a guy who's going to be in the – kind of the Calais Campbell anchor role, the comp at least that I had and what you're looking for as far as the role would be like Derek Wolf out of the Broncos. Zach Allen was interesting because he wasn't a guy who, when you're talking about a, a player as far as a flashlight with the Bosa or like an elite edge rusher, but he was a guy who did nothing but perform. He got like a hundred tackles or so, which is crazy for a defensive lineman. Usually you see those numbers for, you know, guys who are linebackers who are coming in to clean up in some of the areas. Sometimes you'll see, uh, that happened with guys. He also had a ton of passes that were batted down. Big guy with a big frame. Uh, he is, you know, you're talking about with everything he did at Boston College. Some people I know had him ranked in the first round as a first round talent. Some even had him like as, as high as I saw as 11th overall. Um, he was a guy athletic enough to be able to even drop into coverage. He actually had a, he actually had two interceptions in college as a defensive lineman running back, like in coverage. Like it wasn't like he jumped up and like one of them, he jumped up and picked, but the other one, it was like he prevented a touchdown from happening by picking a ball off on the goal line. So this is a pick where at the time I was kind of curious because of the need. But when I took a look at the players who available, there was a run on offensive lineman that happened at the end of the, the middle of the end of the second round. There wasn't really that many guys who I saw like there were no offensive offensive linemen that went 
for the next, I believe it was like three, I think it was th- almost like 25 picks up until Trey Pipkins was taken in the third round. Pick number, what was that? Connor McGovern actually went to pick 90. So really you're talking about most of the offensive linemen had already been taken up until that point. So Cardinals really went for best player available. And they got a guy who I think is honestly going to, he's going to rotate on the line. I don't know if he's going to be a specific starter, but he's going to get starting impact that I think you're going to get out of him and he fills kind of that exact void that you're looking for in Vance Joseph's defense so you're talking about an identity and we'll, we'll keep coming back to this John but Vance Joseph's identity is you get good pass rushers and guys on the defensive line who can get after the passer can rush uh, the quarterback you get guys who can you know blitz as far as from the linebacker position and you get an elite secondary on the back end with the guys like Chris Harris and you know we even talked about with uh, the safety that they've gotten a few years ago or corners like um uh, with the chain keep to leave on the back end the identity that the cardinals are pursuing they're drafting guys that fit that identity you're not really drafting a 4-3 robert kimdichi for a 3-4 defense you're not drafting a running back to play corner and brandon williams just because he fits the physical measurables you're not taking uh, you know a, a guy who's going to be drafted by the cardinals who's no, not going to fit the three four four three defense passing on these inside linebackers like the Cardinals did last year, having to kind of settle and really struggled in Steve Volk's defense. I even thought that this was the Cardinals effectively with their first four picks, showing that they've got an identity again. And that, would, to me, was even more encouraging than the picks were overall, John, because it gave me a lot of hope that the Cardinals could make this maybe even a quicker turnaround than I'd hoped for. And it gave you a lot of hope that they kind of the light bulb may have gone off in their heads for some of these bad picks they've made in the last year, because the first four, I, I felt like that they nailed yeah and you talked about the need up front on the defensive line I think that that is an understatement I mean they were going to take Quentin Williams he was probably instantly going to become their best defensive lineman and I love Quentin Williams but that just shows you the lack of depth and and quality production they have at least guaranteed Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence you know they draft Zach Allen immediately declined Robert Kimdichie's fifth year option play the exact same position I don't think the draft would have changed that one way or the other. Um, but it's a position group that they needed to address. And they got a young man, I think, that can be super productive for them. And again, it's it's very, you could almost say the same thing about Isabella and Allen in the same realm at different positions, right? I think they both have incredibly high floors. I think both can be very consistent starters for this team with an opportunity to shine at some point. Um, but I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed if either one of these guys is not a consistent all-pro player. We talked about it coming into the draft. The Cardinals do not and did not have enough good players on the roster. They were too top heavy. They were top heavy last year. It's been watered down to to some extent. They've got, you know, two or three elite players, David Chandler, Patrick, but then they've got a huge drop off uh, outside of some young guys like Kirk and, and um, Buda Baker, nobody you can get excited about. Right. And so Zach Allen fits that role, being able to seamlessly come in and play. You mentioned that five technique. He's a tackling machine. I think he had over a hundred tackles one year in college, which in 2017, yeah. which is just Crazy. insane. It's just insane. You look at the rest of that defensive line group. You've got Darius Phelan, who they, they signed, who they think can be a player for them, but they don't know. They've got Rodney Gunter coming back on a one-year deal and they've got Corey Peters and that's it. And so when you add somebody like Zach Allen, and I do think the Cardinals could eventually add another body or two in this offseason in free agency, you add Zach Allen with the mindset that you can, you can choose to re-sign Rodney Gunter or not, but I would think that in a year from now, he is going to be their starting five technique, and they're going to continue to transform that defensive line. And they, they hope and 
And I hope that he can be a building block in the same mention. You mentioned Derek Wolf. I've seen that comparison pretty consistently. I saw a Justin Smith comparison, which is mm. super unfair. I saw that right before the draft. Um, but he was absolutely somebody. I know NFL.com had him as a second round grade. I mean, he was, um, he fell for whatever reason and the Cardinals took advantage. And again, I, I said it earlier in the podcast, if you look at the roster, like an expansion roster and just going BPA, when you're picking first overall, you have a lot of needs and you're in no business of being able to, to select based on, on need. You need to go BPA in a lot of instances because you have so many holes to fill. And so Allen is somebody I think who's going to contribute on special teams this year. He's going to be a rotational defensive lineman, and he's going to be somebody that we're probably going to be talking about a year from now, Blake, as a breakout player going into 2020. And just everything that you hear about the coaching staff, um, you know, former executives, personnel, people talk about this young man. You, you hate doing this now in the pile on, but he really kind of seems like the opposite of Robert Kimdichie. He's got a motor. He's somebody who puts the time in. He talked about it in his conference call. He's like, I'll sell popcorn for this franchise. I don't care. I'll do whatever it takes. And you need guys like that. You need the high end players as well. And he could turn into that at some point, but you need the mid rounders to come in and have a definitive role and contribute. And I think he'll do that for the team. Yeah. It was fascinating. Also was looking at kind of the typical scouting reports where he was graded as an edge rusher. He'll have the flexibility to go and rush from the inside or outside. So when we talked about the, when we talked about having, you know, a guy opposite of Chandler Jones to be able to have some of that flexibility of of finding guy, maybe, I don't know if he's going to be maybe a pure, edge but the fact that he could even kick out to that and maybe it is a case where next year like hey we've got this elite defensive tackle who's you know sitting there with wherever the cardinals pick you can pick him up and then kick him to the outside there's some of that flexibility what was interesting to me was people who were kind of in the more typical scouting community and this is kind of what we'll get into in just a minute here was they were looking at him saying yeah he's like a great run defender a tackling machine for that one they're like yeah he's maybe more of like an average pass rusher maybe not the best around the edge for the most part maybe he's like kind of a, a base guy that's there can also kind of go inside. I think the comp that uh, Dane Brugler had for him was Tyrone Crawford. Um, the interesting part was with Pro Football Focus, they saw his pass rush grade as much, much higher, where they effectively saw that, hey, like he was playing the run most often when he did get a chance to rush the passer. I took a look at as far as that, and he ended up with you know, a lot of good QB hits. He ended up only with about five or six sacks for the most part. It wasn't like he was a sack master. But it was kind of in the case of you're going to say, hey, maybe he ends up going into the team and ends up maybe not being this type of a sack guy or edge rush. But if he's like, you know, uh, five, uh, six to eight sacks a year type of guy, let's well, imagine you can also go inside and be a run defender. That at least gives you a, a spot and it fills a body on the team. So I think that this was a great, a great spot for him ultimately because, you know, he's going to come onto the team. You already uh, talked about like his personality already seems like it's great. Uh, it's kind of production-wise, it's very much a spot where I've got a, a lot of high hopes for him where we'll be able to see the team kind of get some of that defensive line. And especially, like you talked about the team, they were 32nd against the run last year. I think they're already going to fix a lot of that with scheme, but you added another elite run defender to that. That's something I can't fault the Cardinals for if they want to get that team fixed and improved. So at this point, John, I, we were talking, uh, I think at least looking over at the PFF, you know, their draft board and their top players, the Cardinals, and people at that point were just tweeting the pro football focus like hey who are the cardinals taking next because every single one of the picks the cardinals made was essentially in the top five best available of pro football focus's guide each one fit a need each one fit that so when we talked about steve kind of installing an analytics team at the beginning of the year to where it is now where you know every single time it's like they had like it's almost like they're kind of admitting that they use pro football, football focus 
almost as their draft board. Like he had said, oh yeah, we had a top 10 grade on Byron Murphy. He was six on the PFF guide. Oh, we had gotten four players that were in our top 40 picks. They looked pick 37, you know, pick 30, pick six. But every single one of those guys was fitting into kind of the PFF's guide. It's almost turned into a kind of a memes where Steve Kime is like, you know, like, uh, hey, what are the Cardinals going to do with uh, all that cap space? Well, they're going to extend their PFF subscription. So let's talk a bit about what could this impact have, John, when we talked about the Cardinals and complained about Kime's drafting of their pass picks. My biggest complaint was they never did pursue the full analytics. They still spent a lot of time doing the traditional scouting method where they would take guys who maybe didn't have as much production, but they were projecting them. Now it seems that they've gone not just production heavy, but kind of a combination of production and athleticism and that's part of why the grade has been draft has been kind of heralded as like the best or at least the top three for sure at least a top five draft by many people what are your thoughts at least on this whole different cardinals approach you think is it more cliff related is it kind kind of seeing the three and 13 getting together is it a combination like what do you think is the impact that we're going to see on the cardinals from shifting to this more analytics based approach because you can't really deny like they made this approach there's there can't be a coincidence here of them happening to have a exact same lineup as the pro football focus guide well, yeah, they're kicking conventional wisdom to a lot of the traditional stereotypes that this league has had for so long that Kime bought into over the course of his tenure. They're, they're trying to move away from that. You're taking a 5'10 quarterback first overall as something the league has, has never seen. And he had the highest, Murray did the highest pro football focus grade this year at 94.6. You take an undersized 5'9 receiver out of UMass in the second round with a premium pick at pick 62 Pro Football Focus had Andy Isabella at 93.2, I believe, a top 40 grade, top 35 grade. Uh, Byron Murphy, 92. Zach Allen, 90. Akeem Butler, 82.4. Deontay Thompson, who, who fell at a criminal fall to the fifth round, had an 88.4. And he fell based on medical reasons, but to last until the fifth round was insane. The Cardinals got tremendous value, no, no matter how you want to slice it, because they stuck to their analytic board. Kime has been at his best when he's had the opportunity to be flexible and take best player available. You've seen him when he struggled with Arians, especially you know later in their tenure together, when they were playing so much, and by playing, they were drafting so much for the window that Carson had, the win-now window, trying to get this franchise that elusive Super Bowl trophy. You know, We ripped that first draft that Kime had in 2013, but they got Tyron Matthew, and the next year they added a couple quality players and then it's really just started to spiral out of control for Kime, you know, from then on out drafting needs consistently, specifically in the 2016 and 2017 draft where he seemingly got no production out of either class. The 2015 draft was, was, was a good draft, but 16 and 17, they, you almost just felt like they looked at where they, you know, suffered from the previous year. Yeah. And they said, we got, we got to get this position. We got to get a defensive tackle. We got an inside linebacker. And it's just like, you know, they overdrafted players. They went against conventional wisdom. And Kime has basically stripped this whole thing down. You, you know they have a presence now. Michael Bidwell, former attorney, he's a smart dude. You have, you're on an NFL team. You're president of an NFL team. You're, you're a smart guy. Knows that the Cardinals have to buck this conventional trend that they've been on for so long if they want to close the gap with the rest of the league. And this was a great, this was a great starting point. Are all these players going to pan out? Of course not. You know, I'm sure if you go back to the last It'd be nice two or three if they years, did. It'd be nice if you yeah. had another 2004 draft, honestly. I, I would say yeah. I'd not say no to that. But <laughs> Yeah, but you go back the last two or three years with Pro Football Focus, they miss on guys like like everybody else does. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm with you, Blake. I hate the projection, especially like, you know, everybody loved DK Metcalf, except the league. They didn't 
uh, and he had or projecting to the next level. And you talk about pass rushers that the Cardinals had been linked to in years prior that had like, you know, five or six sacks, you know, in, in their college career, but they projected to just explode in the NFL. Um, and it didn't work out. I want guys who produce at, at the collegiate level who have, you know, very good measurables and then let the chips fly where they may. It doesn't matter that they're not six, three, it doesn't matter you know, that they played an unconventional offense. If, if you can play football, in my opinion, you can play at the next level. Um, and so it's, it's an exciting transition. I'm, I'm anxious to see, you know, if, if they have success with this rookie class, which we're all hoping, does it, do they fall through with it again next year? Because they're going to be able to go into free agency with $80 million. They're going to have Kyler Murray, who hopefully is coming off a tremendous rookie season. They're going to have needs clearly identified. Do they stick to their board as, as much as they did this year? Because they were in a very unique spot. Um, you know, I love this class as much as the next guy. They picked first in every round. I mean, they had the opportunity to cherry pick Hakeem Butler, and we'll get to it at pick 103 to start day three, which was just ridiculous. I mentioned Deontay Thompson, you know, Byron Murphy. We talked about it, you know, previously at pick 33. A lot of people thought he'd be a top 12 to 15 pick. So they needed to get these kind of impact players in terms of, you know, pre-draft scouting reports because they were the worst team in the NFL, but it just so happens it coincided with the strong analytical foundation that they're laying. And I'm excited to see if they can sustain it because it, really the best organizations, Philadelphia does this, Kansas city does this, new England does this. If you can merge the personnel side and the analytical side, you get the quarterback, right? That's when you are a consistent Super Bowl contender. And so if the Cardinals are able to lay the foundation with this group and build on it and have success it only means great things for this for this group and this franchise. Yeah, and I think it also speaks to the fact that uh, Steve Kime, a lot of people complain when he kept his job. Haven't seen as many complaining now on low, unless, you know, people may have complained that PFF did the job for him. But Funny how that works. Exactly. It shows at least that if there's a commitment and willingness to change, and that's the best thing that I think fans can hope for, because you don't want to be stuck in a spot like John Elway. And even though I like admire what John Elway did with this uh, this offseason, where he didn't, you know, reach and take Drew Locke in the first round, like a certain team decided to do with their quarterback, and a lot of people predicted and guessed that that would be the case it was just like a oh gosh like did they actually just do that giants why why but if it shows that there's at least commitment to change and shows that there was enough of a commitment to change that they were willing to you know take a loss on josh rosen kind of and you're still admitting fault for that you're still saying hey we took this guy we believed in him this guy over here is better well that also means that you're you know not able to believe that this guy's that the guy that you picked and drafted is going to be better it it does show at least a kind of humility taking a slice of humble pie and learning from it. So that's what I think Cardinals fans should hope for is that there is at least a continual step toward progress. Um, I know that there's teams that can get mired at least. And the fact that they're forward looking is, uh, is exciting. Uh, the fact that they're also able to meet and address needs, not necessarily while reaching, like it wasn't like you were like, Oh, like they reached and took a, a day three offensive lineman on day two, cause they had a need at the position. Uh, they were able to kind of sit back, let the board fall to them. Speaking of letting the board fall to them, probably a lot of fans, maybe, maybe I can't say favorite pick, but probably the most exciting one for a lot of fans as we started round four uh, would be Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State. John, you and I talked about this the night before, just like it was with Byron Murphy. This guy is a talent stuck out like a sore thumb where I was looking at it. I was like, okay, well, seeing who's available as far as the top five picks. Oh, okay. He's in there. There's not really an alignment that's in there. Maybe there's a, a corner that's possibly like somewhere up there that's still, and then I was looking back and okay, how did Akeem Butler do, uh, do Cliff? And then we realized, like I even sent a message to you, like, 
looking at how Texas Tech had played Iowa State this year and how Hakeem Cutler had dominated that game. Like, oh my gosh, John, like this is something that a lot of Cardinals fans had been hoping for is potentially taking in the second round of if you couldn't get Nikhil Harry, maybe you can get the next best thing at Akeem Butler, a guy who's got, you know, the chance to be a, you know, star with his size, speed, and his ability to go up and just kind of, you know, Randy Moss, my ball type of, type of player, uh, very uh, different from an Andy Isabella. And we talked about it, I was like, this, John, this may actually be happening. And sure enough, first thing in the morning, Akeem Butler ends up being a member of the Cardinals. I don't know if he got a tip off the night before he posted a picture of the, I think it was like the Joker, at least of Batman laughing, at least for the most part. So whether he was tipped off that he knew he was going or whether it was just kind of a laughing at most of the NFL doubting where he slipped to that round. Um, a lot of people at least were split on him. Some have looked at the drop rate. Some obviously have looked at the, you know, the route running at least is just very different for a guy, his size and his ability but overall, you got to say, like, just from looking at not just a highlight reel for that one, there's so much to at least love about him, especially when you're talking about putting a guy like Kyler Murray with a guy who, again, got like an average of 22 yards per catch in college football and was probably one of the more dominant players that we've seen over the last year, had the production to match. But actually, the DK Metcalf didn't necessarily have. So this is probably one of my favorite picks that the Cardinals made if just because it's going to be really fun to see him plugged into an offense where you got a guy who's six foot can leap for the football with four four legit speed John this is going to be a lot of fun bringing Hakeem Butler into the Arizona Cardinals yeah it was probably my favorite pick of the weekend um, because of the the temptation to take him the fact that we got to sit on it for 12 hours after the end of the third round and he was still dangling there you had the opportunity to take him at pick one of three. I thought maybe they would try once again to trade down. They submitted that pick so fast. <laughs> they had that ridiculous stick that they did at the beginning of the fourth round with those Cowboys. And I'm like, this is going to ruin the pick for me. They're not going to take him, and I'm going to have to watch the stupid <laughs> replay of these Cowboys. And then they took him, and I'm like, oh, that makes it all the more worthwhile. Listen, he he's somebody who by most – national media outlets, draft analysts. He was a second round pick. He has all the measurables. We talked about it two weeks ago. We brought up the name Plexico Burris. I think that still reigns true. I don't think he's quite as talented. We talked about the inconsistency with, with his hands. All that being said, I don't think anybody would have had a problem with with the Cardinals taking him at the Isabel pick at 62 or the Zach Allen pick. 33 might have been a little rich, but you could wrap your head around it. To get him at pick 103 is an absolute steal. Oh, yeah. And he is, he's going to be incredibly motivated, you would think, to come in now. Everything you hear about this young man, super positive. There was a little bit of a um, uh, a little bit of noise on Twitter that maybe he's got a knee, but I haven't seen anything. The, front, the team hasn't said anything yeah, about it. They, they cleared him medically. Uh, Kime had a great line in the, in the combine, too, or post-draft. Um, Presser, and it was more about Deontay Thompson, but basically he's like, I, you know, I've been on the fence with guys and I haven't taken them and they've gone on and been cleared by other doctors and, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to the Hall of Fame now. And the perfect time to take a chance on those guys are, are day three. He's 6'5, he's 225. Yes, he drops the ball on occasion, but he also has, if you look at his tape, he's got some of the best highlight plays in college football from this past season wow plays he's got elite speed he can run sub four five when he wants to he can break tackles you would think somebody who's six five maybe even six six might be a little frail and and be beat up and his run after the catch is almost unrivaled in this class yeah Yeah, you he's got some of that 
bulliness that Nikhil has to him, and he's got speed similar to Andy Isabella. He's number two rated deep threat in this class. He was number one, actually. Yeah, he was number one. Yeah, so Hakeem Butler, you're talking about the guy who, like, led the league in deep receiving yards, and this is, like, you know, it's not like it's, like, you know, a a shifty fast guy. It's this big, huge guy who, when he's making these contested catches and then shoving guys to the turf and then booking it to the end zone, you're just like, wow. So that's the kind of area where, where I've talked with some people, and this is where a lot of people were split on him partially because as far as the production was a lot of NFL guys, they like say, oh, we're rolling out for drops. And if you can't run the right routes or we have to teach it to you, it's going to take a lot. We are looking for more of, I guess you could say the complete wide receiver. And in some cases, it's looking at the NFL of we're starting to move toward where you're getting guys in there for specific roles. And so what I'm wondering, at least with him, is um, because people talked about he didn't start playing high school football until much later because uh, his dad was basically you know absent and his mom passed away at a young age. So he didn't start playing college, high school football until later, was barely recruited out. Cliff Kingsbury, he wanted to play at Texas Tech because he's like, oh, this would be a great fit for my speed and my length. And they didn't recruit him. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury said to him like he didn't want to make that same mistake twice after he torched him for you know four catches. 148 yards and the game-winning touchdown against Texas Tech this year. So it's interesting seeing how Cliff has brought in some of the guys. We even saw this with, I know, some Cardinals players in the past of bringing in guys who torched you um, and kind of putting them on your team because you're like, hey, like I I may not, you know, I, I don't want to play against you anymore. So this is one of those picks where what I do like at least is that you're kind of looking at the upside level. A lot of people had him as their wide receiver one because what they saw was, hey, he's kind of going to be a little bit of a late bloomer, but from the ability that he gives to be able to have it of dominating any corner, essentially one-on-one on the outside, being able to still run in between with the late breaking routes, being able to block. He's a very uh, effective, tough blocker for Iowa State, blocking for David Montgomery that year. And like you said, he's got a huge chip on his shoulder and this huge motivation to be great. He trained with Calvin Johnson, very similar athlete to him in the offseason. He's basically maxed out his you know, the type of athleticism and athlete that you'll see for that size. What I think is most interesting is a lot of people were like, you know, at the end of day three, they were like, gosh, like Hakeem Butler still falling. Like, am I, am I wrong on him? Were we wrong on him as a community? Is this going to be where he just kind of falls all the way down? No one's there. And then once he went into Cliff Kingsbury's offense, like, oh, no, that's it. He, he's going to be good. He gets to learn now from Larry Fitzgerald on what to do as far as with being able to be in the routes and is it a perfect offensive fit for him, not just with a quarterback who's willing to go deep and throw it up, but being able to fit into an offense that is willing to go deep and throw it up and being able to get him those one-on-one matchups. And honestly, John, they, they need the contested catch receiver. Michael Floyd was kind of the kind of the comp that you would look for, but I, I think I see a little, a little bit more of a, uh, I'm trying to think of it. The best example I can think of is if Braylon Edwards had a little bit more speed, you're talking about that guy who goes up, is able to just say, nope, my football, take it away. The, the Randy Moss. Yeah, he had questionable hands, too, so that's probably pretty spot yeah, on. Exactly. He, so that was he, the one that I think a lot of balls. That was kind of the yeah. floor, but with when you're talking about with a guy who just like can be dominant from just saying, oh, you're not going to be able to stop this. Like, I'm going to throw the ball here. You've got two or three guys around me. Doesn't matter. I'm still coming away with the football. That's the kind of upside that I think that he has, and it pairs and fits in so nicely with the rest of the players the Cardinals have. But this is going to be a really fun offense to watch, especially if he's your wide receiver four. Uh, in those type of splits where you're going to be able to say, oh, we're going to be able to bring that speed of Isabella in on the inside, the speed of Christian Kirk on the inside. You've got Larry Fitzgerald, even a David Johnson potentially receiving or in the backfield. Kyler can run the football. And you can even just throw Hakeem Butler 
going deep where he's going to be able to outrun some of these other corners and mismatches. So this is one of my favorite picks because when you double dip, a lot of times at the position, John, whether it's, hey, you double dip at defensive tackle, double dip on offensive linemen, and if both picks can hit, then you're really going to be in an awesome position of strength. And that's part of the reason why I think we've talked a little bit more about this pick than we have, Alan, because, you know, you're, you're talking about rather than being a solid player, a guy who's got, you know, uh, the floor at least you're going to have is, oh, the fourth round, he's going to be at least a contributor for a few years as like a wide receiver three, wide receiver four. The upside that you're going to have is just spectacular, and that's part of why I love getting that value here, and it was such a clear, quick, easy pick. Like you said, they didn't hesitate or take any trade passes. They were just like, wow, he's still there on the board. Guess he's a cardinal now. Yeah, and I think his his bust rate is higher than the, than the two previous picks because I think number one, I, I I think that you know his size. It's tough to play receiver at six six, um, but at the same time, talk about you know eight touchdowns of forty plus yards or more over the last two years. That's insane. Twenty two yeah. yards a catch. It's crazy. But we've seen big big receivers like guys like Stephen Hill who came into the league with the Jets a few years back and had similar comps and and measurables and and flamed out. The difference is that with this young man, talk about his ceiling. His ceiling is 1,500 yards. I mean, his ceiling is yeah. Pro Bowl-level receiver, somebody who you'll look back on this draft in five to seven years and say, goodness, why is Hakeem Butler going 103 with his college statistics and his measurables? Uh, and you'll have to go back and read the, the scouting reports. I mean, that's the kind of impact that he can have. He can be, in my opinion, if things click, I mean, people are saying he's got tremendous mentor in Larry Fitzgerald, and I don't discredit that, but it's it's really up to him. If he has a chance to carve out a niche role in this offense, which I think he will, we talked about the outside receivers, he, he having a firm grasp of that heading into camp is an opportunity to start on the outside. You know, I, I think he has the highest upside of any receiver that the Cardinals have on the roster, and that includes Christian Kirk, yep. just because of his size, his speed, his, his athleticism. And so I think that's why the fan base got so excited about it because yes, we're frustrated with the situation with Rosen, but at least with the value of a Hakeem Butler at the top of the fourth round outside of, you know, a a middle of the road offensive lineman who may or may not end up being your swing guard or somebody like that with Hakeem Butler at pick one Oh three, instead of pick 33, you feel like you got additional picks for the Rosen deal. You feel like (laughs) even, even, even though you didn't in reality get more, you were able to get a player the caliber of Hakeem Butler so late. If that works out, you, you feel like this draft was a, was a roaring success. That's, that's what could take this draft. You know, we, this draft, for it to be successful, Murray has to pan out. And Byron Murphy has to be a contributor. And Isabella has to be a contributor. For this draft to become an all-timer, you, you get number one or number two production from Hakeem Butler, pick 103. That's, the, that's where this draft can go to, to next level for this franchise. And you watch the tape, you see the measurables, you hear what Kingsbury had to say about him, the relationship that they've had. Kingsbury, who didn't recruit him to Texas Tech, as you mentioned, then said, I'm not going to make the same mistake again. I'm, I'm taking you, we're, we're bringing you in, into this franchise. You're going to have a chance to make an immediate impact. You know, I think in a lot of scenarios, Blake Isabel was probably ranked below Hakeem Butler in most scenarios based on you know, a lot of different aspects, but the fact that the Cardinals were able to walk away with both of them when receiver, you know, I don't love it in terms of positional value. I wouldn't rate receiver in my top three to five on how you build a team, but with, with the lack of weapons they had with being able to surround Kyler Murray uh, with weapons to be successful and you don't want to reach on offensive linemen to be able to, like you mentioned, double dip, double up on two quality receivers who absolutely have chances to become not only NFL starters, 
but but big time contributors for an offense that's going to be explosive. Uh, I think that this is the most exciting pick of the weekend just because the Murray thing was so anticlimactic. Yeah, especially when you're considering that Cardinals fans have wanted a wide receiver too for years because we saw with Michael Floyd when he finally got picked, it had been like, you know, first wide receiver they've drafted to kind of be a two high since like the Anquan, uh, Anquan Bolden was traded. And when you talk about with the, um, the uh, addition release of John Brown. And then after that 2015 season, it's like things went downhill to the point where last year we were like, gosh, like they, they got to address this position heading into 2017. And they did not address the position very well overall like, at all, really. And then a lot of the players like John Brown left. Uh, you saw Jerron Brown left. Michael Floyd, obviously, is just kind of like ended up leaving. It's not really seemed like there's much more of a spot in the league, at least not starting for him anymore. Entered a 2018, it seemed like the answer was Bryce Butler, Greg Little, and they did at least draft Christian Kirk, and he was the second guy on the team. And so you're like, gosh, like we just really need terrible, to get a wide receiver. Terrible group a year ago. Yeah, and so you got two guys that are there this year, and both guys are really high upside guys who graded out well, had tons of production, and that's one thing that I think you're looking forward to with the Cardinals. Uh, speaking with production and with draft day steals, Deontay Thompson, this is interesting because when the Cardinals drafted him, it was like Deontay Thompson, safety, Alabama. I thought in my head at first was, are there two Deontay Thompsons from Alabama? Because this was another pick that was expected to go much higher. A lot of people had him for the most part as a day two player. Some had him as like the 30th overall pick in the first round. Uh, he was a guy who fell down some draft boards because of some medicals, as we mentioned, I think, earlier in the process. John Cardinals continued to stay to take highly drafted players in the fifth round. You're not really caring as much because, as, as you and I talked about, for the most part, the draft ends up being about four rounds long. When you get to these later round picks, you're essentially just kind of swinging for the fences and hoping. But because every team studies, every team does their work, and because there's so few guys who can hit all these measurables that are required, it becomes difficult to land guys who are going to be impact or starting players. And they might have gotten one in the fifth round here if he ends up panning out well. Now, I know that some of the concerns that I've seen that people have had with him is they've wondered, you know, is his tackling going to be right? Is he going to be a guy who looking more to hit than to kind of tackle. Um, another thing, at least, that some have mentioned about is just the way that he plays the game is he kind of flies around like he's Dale Buchanan's size and hits, but he's that kind of like, you know, a 200-pound type guy. So that's going to be something that'll be interesting is if there is going to be any type of uh, injury concerns as far as the way that he is. And that's one thing with Alabama players, you look at with guys like HaHa and other players where they do play, but there's always going to be kind of like some wear and tear just because Bama runs it like a pro team and they – you know, don't care as much about their players getting ready for the draft because they're out to win championships. So that's one of the things that I do at least appreciate about Bama is that they bring in guys with very, very high floors, always usually have high ceilings too. But in the end, at least, this is a pick that I thought was like, hey, you know what? Swing for the fences. You get a guy who for sure was in the top 120 on their board. He may have been in a lot of teams' top plays. Uh, he was anywhere from safety number one to safety number six or seven. And I think it'll be fascinating because I think he's going to probably do as best. He'll outperform some of the other guys who got taken two rounds ahead of him. As yeah. worse, you're like you spent a fifth round pick on a guy, you know, there were questions about him. It didn't pan out for that one. It's, it's not like you spent a second round pick on the guy or a third round pick. And that's where most people were projecting that he'd go. 
Absolutely. And the biggest concern that folks have is that with that knee, they've, they've claimed it's a degenerative knee means it gets worse over time. That's the, the phrase that we love to throw on this time last year with Sam Bradford's knee. But also, if you remember a few years back with Miles Jack falling to the second round with the Jaguars, he's held up fine over the course of his what first four seasons in the NFL. I believe right. he's in that Zeke Elliott draft. And so, again, even if Deontay Thompson's knee is in that state right now, and you hope it's not, if the Cardinals get four or five really good seasons or quality seasons from him, and then he's got a call to career, then, then that's fine. Fifth round pick. Um, you, you talk about late round safeties. For Alabama, the comparison everybody loves is Rashad Johnson, who went, I believe, late in the third. Uh, the Cardinals took him. He was a little bit undersized, didn't have that great level speed, really kind of before Saban uh, started his dynasty there, but super smart, high IQ young man. Eddie Jackson with the Bears two years ago in 2017 was a late fourth round pick and has been a stud for them, a focal point of their defense. These guys know how to come in and play football at the highest level. They've seen it done at the best collegiate program, probably in the history of college football. Um, And so I think he's somebody that's going to push for playing time. I think it's going to be interesting if the Cardinals see anything that they like from him in the short term and they kind of back off the the safety market. Remember, DJ Swearinger is on a one-year deal. Drew Baker really is their only capable of their safety Trey Boston's still available for in free agency. There, there's a lot of quality safeties available. If they kind of pump the brakes, I, I think that that means Deontay Thompson is going to have some kind of role. He's got the size. He's 6'2", roughly 185 to 190. But the difference is, you mentioned that he loves to hit, but he also has that straight line speed where he can keep up with some of the bigger tight ends. Sometimes he can play on, the, on an outside receiver. Yes, he had a terrible terrible um clemson game but so did that entire alabama defense so i'm i'm gonna cut him some slack because trevor lawrence torched everybody uh and i (laughs) just look at his season as a whole high character young man to get him where they did i mean you look at the top if you if you were watching the draft at any point at the beginning of day three either on espn or nfl network the top rated player on NFL network going into Saturday was Deontay Thompson and the top rated player on ESPN going into Saturday was Hakeem Butler. And the Cardinals got both of them (laughs) without, without packaging picks, without moving up. They got both of them in consecutive rounds. And I was like, you Blake, I was in end game after the Hakeem Butler pick. And I came back and I'm like, how do we get Deontay Thompson? Do we, do we move picks? Do we package the rest of our picks to come up? I just assume we got them right after in the fourth, but turns out, you know, he's a fifth round gift. And I think he is somebody right away. You could see him contribute just as much as somebody like Zach Allen. I think they're both going to be rotational players for this team. And that's the exciting part, right? They're going to get contributions up and down from this rookie class that has been kind of, you know, few and far between in, in most recent Cardinal draft classes. Yeah. You, uh, you essentially didn't really have a true center fielder, as far as a guy who can play deep like that Rashad Johnson type of role, if he can play and do that and be a quicker, faster athlete, um, kind of like a second pair of uh, coaching eyes on the field like Rashad Johnson was, um, he gets his angles and his coverage is just like right on par for the most part. Then, yeah, you could be talking about you know having a potential of uh, this is the fifth round pick. They got a second pick for Isabella. If you got six impact players that can stand out, it tells you two things. One, this was a hell of a draft by the Arizona Cardinals being able to establish all of these talented guys who just kind of fell trusting not just their board but their methodology trusting their identity being able to land and secondly it also tells you john this is a a three and 13 team team last three and 13 excuse me team last year that's got a lot of holes needs to fill a lot of those holes whether it's for now or for the future and that's 
part of why I think it's a, a lot of fans are appreciative of this. I thought the Cardinals were going to honestly package one or two of their seventh rounders. They ended up with the three last picks in the draft. Thought they'd package at least one used of them all in a little bit. Yeah, but now they stayed put. Used them all. They didn't need to trade up for a guy like Deontay Thompson, which I think is impressive overall as far as being able to identify and see. And if it doesn't turn out like that, there's a, we'll see what happens with the knee if it turns into another spot like a Dorian Johnson where you get into camp like, oh, this just this isn't going to work out. They spent a fourth on Dorian Johnson for a guy that they thought was going to be a second-round talent. It didn't end up impacting them too much. It was just the repeated amounts of missing on the offensive line that ended up being an issue. Uh, speaking of offensive line, we'll get there in a second, but we've got a third wide receiver to talk about, John, as we kind of near the home stretch on these draft picks. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson, a guy who I, when I saw that, I was a little bit surprised because – it was a name that normally you'd expect that would be like, you know, your fourth or fifth round wide receiver, but he was there at the top of the sixth and he's a uber productive guy. The best way you can say is he's kind of a jack of all trades, master of none, whereas you can see where Andy Isabella and you can see where Hakeem Butler went. He's a guy who won and was productive, but didn't really have like one dominant trait. And the one thing he did have was he ran a 4 6 40 time. And in that sense, he essentially kind of fell down a lot of teams' boards looking for kind of the 4 4, 4 5 type of athletes. Um, but overall, he didn't test out like as a poor athlete. It's not like he's like, you know, going to be too stiff or has other things. He's not going to be quite a Keyshawn Johnson like the, the previously named NFL. Player, but uh, he's a guy who I think when you're talking about if you if he can become a Jerron Brown, that wide receiver four who comes in and is able to perform on special teams, locked down, ends up being a wide receiver four that's valuable, you know, catches a few touchdowns. To get that guy in the sixth round, I like pick what was it one seventy nine? No, pick one seventy four. I think at least it's a great pick to be able to make, especially when you're talking about how the Cardinals needed to remake their wide receiver room. Now you're probably going to wonder, does a Chad Williams get potentially moved out if he sticks? Does Kevin White make it out of camp? This is going to be one of Cliff's guys that was there. And when you're talking about drafting production, he's got it. It's not like you're you know taking a flyer on a guy at 800 receiving yards. So that's one of the reasons why I like this pick because he's one of those guys who usually ends up sticking on a roster, whether it's the Cardinals or not, and hangs around for a number of years. So uh, what were your thoughts on this pick with the Cardinals going back again to the wide receiver well with Cliff Kingsbury, who clearly had a, a huge influence on this draft? Well, you just mentioned that this draft was a nightmare scenario for the Kevin Whites and the, and the Chad Williams of, of this franchise. I, I don't know if either one of them makes the team now, especially like you just mentioned, Keyshawn Johnson is going to play special teams. Keyshawn Johnson uh, was a four-year starter uh, for a very very consistent and competitive Fresno state team, senior four-year starter, somebody who's going to be able to come in, work those underneath routes. People want to like pigeonhole Andy Isabella because of stereotypes. He's a deep threat and an underneath receiver. Keyshawn is very much a, a you know, a possession receiver. Doesn't have that lead speed four, six, four, six, five, roughly. That's not slow by any means, but he's not a burner. He's an underneath receiver, but he's got size on him. He's roughly 6'2", I think 195 to 200 pounds. It's like 6'1", 200. You're talking about similar to kind of the Jerron Brown type of body. Yeah, absolutely. He, I think he averaged roughly like 13 yards. If you, if you round up per catch in in college, he's a possession receiver that has super been super productive at the collegiate level. And these are the kind of players that I wanted the Cardinals to target. We talked about it on our last pod. I named a couple guys because we talked about if the Cardinals aren't able to get a receiver in the second round, uh, which they did, but if they weren't like the high end Hollywood Browns, the Harry's, those kind of guys, Hakeem Butler, who could they target on day three to kind of maybe supplement that void, maybe evolve into a number three receiver at some point. Mm-hmm. And I almost mentioned him last time, but I mentioned a couple other names, but he's very much in that same mold of 
a very nice day three option, probably somebody who deserved to get drafted a little higher, but it was a, it was a steady receiver class outside of the first round. We saw a lot of guys get picked between pick 33 and pick 100. And so he kind of bared the uh, unfortunate end of that, but he's somebody I think that's going to be able to come in, carve out a niche role on this team. And again, you just mentioned it. This is a kick Cliff Kingsbury draft pick. And he is going to favor these young guys who are hungry over the Chad Williams, who has no um, you know, credibility with this coaching staff. Yeah. Kevin White came in, signed this one-year contract. I don't think he's guaranteed any money. I think that it was always going to be a concern whether or not he was going to make this team. Uh, now you talk about Keyshawn, you would think is the only one who could potentially not make this team. Uh, we, but I, I would think with his productivity, uh, I think he's going to make it. Hakeem, Isabella are locks, Larry and Krishner locks. I happen to keep, think that they might keep seven receivers, but Possibly. you know that, remain, that remains to be seen. But I, just another really good addition to this group of, of young uh, pass catchers for the Cardinals. Yeah, it'll be quite a fight in camp because uh, Trent Sherfield started to come on last year and he seems to fit. But it, what I liked the most about Johnson was not just because he you know, broke the records that a very good wide receiver in um, Devontae Adams did at uh, Fresno State when he had you know, Derek Carr throwing him the ball. He just had so many different targets that he got as far as like he had you know, 128 targets in 2018, 126 in 2017. So talking about a guy who essentially was like, you know, the wide receiver one got the ball thrown to him a ton. And he really did a great job of being able to make the most of it. He had, you know, never got that 10 touchdown season, but he was a, as a guy that one of, one of the Fresno State guys reached out to me. He's like, hey, I believe he's going to make the team. We love watching him play. Like you guys are getting a really special player here. And he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder as well. He's uh Apparently put on his Twitter, he's already taking number 19 because he was the 19th receiver taken. Uh, you got to love a little detail like that where, you know, maybe some people are flashing back to the nine mistakes for Rosen. But, you know, a lot of times it's a little different at the uh, wide receiver position when you've got a guy who, you know, has put up and done everything that he can in college football and gets knocked down because of the speed. And we'll see if that ends up being a limiting factor for him or if it ends up being a spot where the Cardinals are able to, you know, come away with another guy who may make that special teams impact. Um, now, John, we'll finally get to the offensive line. And I know you'll talk, you were kind of had a, a really fun rant on Twitter about uh, Cardinals were not taking an offensive line. Uh, Lamont Galliard is a guy who was most interesting because he comes in as a, one of, I would say one of the more unique offensive linemen in this year's draft. And the reason why is because he started off as a defensive tackle prospect at Georgia was recruited as like a top defensive tackle. He ended up, not getting enough time to play at Georgia. So the coaches and talked to him and said, Hey, you want to switch to the other side of the line? He switched to the offensive line as a little bit more undersized for the position. For the most part, Wade didn't find it. The combine seemed like he played a little bit lighter, but you want to talk about just kind of putting a dog in the fight. He was rated by the SEC coaches as their number one center for the year. Now you're talking about, you know, they went up against, you know, an Eric McCoy at a center, um, who's a you know another guy who went in the second round they kind of ranked him over him because he was a guy who just gave their players problems like you look at the Alabama game where he was able to actually you know he had a couple of you know missed tackles he had there but he was for the most part able to just kind of put hands on Quinn and Williams and be able to just you know take him on one-on-one and Georgia was able to run the ball up the middle on Alabama's defense and he was the anchor guy a lot of times that they were running behind so that was fantastic to be able to see he's got even longer arms than a guy I think like Garrett Bradbury as far as uh, when you're talking about center prospects and he did a very very good job as far as being able to 
uh, just be able to run the football. He was a, a center who, when I talked to a couple people, they said, yeah, he was really impressive overall leading up to it. Uh, he's a big boy, but still showed you know enough athleticism in the Shrine game that they were really excited about him. One person who was a draft guy who I kind of at least trust reached out and was like, hey, like, yeah, I think the Cardinals may have gotten the starter potential like in the sixth round. I thought this guy was going to go day three, day four. Um, he's a guy who was super high on who's played in that type of a power run blocking scheme. So that'll be fascinating because if the Cardinals come in and you've got Mason Cole, if he's not able to snap as well from the shotgun, AQ Shipley coming back, you're going to have a lot of competition for the center. If he happens to, you know, beat those guys out, whether it's for the backup center, uh, for that spot, then you're going to start talking about the Cardinals having just incredible impact on this draft. I think at a, let me see if it's here, the, uh, yeah, the 78 grade, at least from the pro football focus is one of the top guys available there. I, I think that this is a, a pick where the so Cardinals got a guy who, even if he's a backup center for years in the league, John, you still are getting great value for being able to find that guy in the sixth round. If he ends up having more of an impact at a center or at a guard spot, whether that's in starting or whether he kind of works his way into that over the next few years. I think that this is really fun because you, you take a look at the Cardinals and their need on the offensive line, the flexibility that he has to play guard or center. You probably got the fourth ranked center overall. You didn't have to pay up for him in round three or round four, where some had thought he might go. You got him in round six. So I liked this one as well. There's not really a pick I've disagreed with. The only thing I think that I disagreed with was, you know, I wondered if this is a pick that could have come earlier, looking back on the grades, the grades that most of those guys seem to go in round two. Um, I don't know. What were your thoughts, at least on this, John? I did get a chance to watch him, and that was the thing that was interesting, was I was a little bit impressed with how he just didn't seem to give any ground. He seemed to do so well in the pass-blocking portion uh, and that's something that you really need to have for the Cardinals going into this draft because that's a huge need I think that they had coming off of last year yeah I think if, if at any point you get starts out of him and he and he shows to be a competent player I think you've hit a home run anytime you get into the sixth round if, if guys make your team uh, depending on the state of your team I think that's a win listen I, I think that at the end of the day if you want to be convinced that this is going to be an individual that you can substituting a right or left guard or center, like you mentioned, uh, put the Alabama tape on. And he was more than capable holding his own. You mentioned against Quentin Williams. It showcased that he has a future in this league. Um, Whether that continues to the next level, I don't know. Um, I do know that he's a little bit undersized at 6'2". I think some websites have him at 6'3". It's more like 6'2". Um, his body type isn't great. He's somebody who's got a little bit of a, of a baby face, but man, he has that kind of God given strength where he's able to attack opponents under his pads. He's got an incredibly quick step, a quick jab. He's very competitive. Um, and I've seen comparisons where he sets like the Mike linebacker for his team. That's what a specific quote was on NFL.com, which is crazy. Um, so just incredibly physical. We all you have to do is go back and look at all the quality runners that the University of Georgia had over his tenure. I mean, he's a multi-year starter, consistently blocked for tremendous previous first-round picks. Uh, one of which was went to the New England Patriots last year. So it's it's easy to see. You can be excited about this individual. You know, my frustration lies with the fact that I still don't think they did enough to improve the offensive line this offseason in combination of free agency and the draft. And, and you take an undersized quarterback, I have concerns. But I will say in terms of a value pick, uh, I don't think you can go wrong with, with taking somebody who's a multi-year starter in the SEC uh, in the sixth round. 
Yeah, he was graded by uh, Dane Brugler as a fourth-round pick. Greenham said that he's, eh, he's got some technique stuff to work on, but he's just such a strong guy where he's just like, you know, he's one of those dogs. Um, I, I, I think that he's one of the – uh, he was a guy who like, you know, went change improved every year, started 13 games at guard and then started a consecutive, uh, I think it was at 29 straight games after that at center. So you're talking about being able to adapt quickly. You know, you talked about Mason Cole, some of that positional flexibility, you've got that here, but unlike Cole starting at left tackle for so long, you got a lot easier and quicker way of being able to adjust. And he was on a team that was, uh, he was a team captain on the team as well. Like he was a guy who was voted, was a year round captain for that one. So I think this is one of those things where when you're talking about the Cardinals kind of repeatedly getting what you would kind of call on paper a steal, this is another one of those guys. And that's what's going to be really fun when we get into, I think, with camp and some of the other areas is just to see the talent level for this team improve overall. Uh, let's talk about the player that no one seems to know, the, people know the least about. Here's a Shrine game participant in Joshua Miles. Excuse me. He seems like he's going to adapt and maybe switch into more of a guard is what it seems like for the most part. And at least that's kind of what... Uh, it's been, he was a small guy out of Morgan State. He actually missed some time in college because he didn't academically came in for under for the number of credits. It was a really tough thing for that one. But when you hear him talk and go through, uh, very well-spoken, very like, I guess that you could at least say is, uh, he's not the kind of guy you would assume of having any type of academic problems at all for the most part, which is why it was interesting. A lot of teams, I think, got to know him at that Shrine game where he had a good combine performance as well. He's not going to be one of those guys who's going to be like an elite athlete as far as being able to run around the outside. I don't know if he's going to qualify as a tackle for the Cardinals. It may seem to have the guy in Corey Cunningham, but if you're talking about a developmental guy at guard uh, who's going to be more of a strength and a power guy, versus a finesse guy i think that he's one of those guys that you're gonna you're gonna like a lot so what were your thoughts at least in this john the cardinals finally double dip they do go small school which is something i know we've talked about complaining even took him over a guy like a Bo 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 uh Bo b i think you call him Bo schwazel for the most part who went undrafted um i don't know if that was a yeah that, that was unfortunate because i would have liked to have seen them add him yeah especially when you about wisconsin him. offensive lineman you just you get excited 43 games in college straight you know they took him over like a rosh pierster back in i think for alabama i believe maybe he went a little higher i think that he actually went a little bit higher than the cardinals pick for that one it was galliard who was the one who fell but yeah well, what were your thoughts at least in the cardinals going with a small school guy you know there's upside that are there it just kind of feels like it's the pick of out of the the fact that the Cardinals now have with him being on the team, 20 offensive linemen. There's so many offensive linemen. It's hard for me to see him. He's probably the first one I would say is there's a guy who's not going to make the team this year. He's a possibility. At least he might be practice squad eligible, at least if that's the case. So what were your thoughts, at least the Cardinals and Steve kind of going back to the well at the small school? Yeah, I'm not going to uh, say that I knew who this individual was pre-draft. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't have an opportunity to study the, the draft this in depth. Um, but, you know, what I've read, he was super productive at, at Morgan State University. Again, multi-year starter, somebody who was, I think, second team all conference in the what's known as the MEAC, uh, was voted a team captain by his peers. He's 23 years old. I mean, he's seen a lot um, of quality football, but can he play at the highest level? That, that kind of remains to be seen. Um, I think he is a prime candidate for the practice squad. I think that, you know, he's, he checks a lot of boxes in terms of the measurables. And I know that NFL.com graded him as somebody who could be an NFL backup. And that is a swing tackle. I mean, that's a reliable resource. I think they had him at like a 5.32 scale. Uh, his height, you know, not a problem. His weight's not a problem. Um, you know, unlike, um, 
Gilliard, he he's a, he's got better physical traits. I mean, his mm-hmm. he's just better put together. His his weight is evenly distributed, um, and so he's got good NFL size. He needs to work on his pass sets. Um, that's that's probably the biggest um, criticism I see. But yeah. again, you're 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 in the seventh round pick. A lot of these guys are going to get beat out by undrafted free agents. I mean, heck, sixth and fifth rounders are going to get beat out by undrafted free agents. So, you know, the Cardinals under Steve Kime have not been able to garner quality producers on late on day three. For whatever reason, Kime has not been able to. I mean, the last real big contributor that I can remember that the Cardinals took late on day three. I mean, they've Kime's had a, a slew of nice undrafted free agents. You talked about Jerron Brown. Tony Jefferson obviously comes to mind, but late, late round picks, you know, you go back to the Andre Ellington's of the world, the Stefan Taylor's. I mean, but those, but they played running back. I mean, that's just a different kind of position. The Cardinals are due. And that's why I love being able to keep all these picks, utilizing these picks, because, you know, it's just basic math. The more picks you have, the more chances you have hit on a contributor. So whether it's, you know, Josh, or we'll talk about Michael or Caleb Wilson, any of these guys, if any of them become a starter or a, con- a contributor this late, then that just that adds to the greatness that could be this draft. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. But again, how many years, Blake, have we seen this franchise, not only with this administration, but the previous one with Graves and Wisenhunt, where they love taking day three offensive linemen yeah. to supplement the fact they didn't take them early. And they were taking the Michael Floyds of the world early and the Ryan Williams, but they, they didn't invest early enough. Now, I will say this isn't the best offensive lineman class. So you, you kind of get a little bit of a pass from me. There's not a Zach Martin. There's not a, you know, a Ryan Kelly. Those interior guys just weren't there. Those dominators from years prior. I don't, you know, there's mm-hmm. nobody that I would compare to like a Will Hernandez last year. But next year, we say it every year, they need to invest. And so your hope is that they come out of this draft and into this season and they're able to develop one or two guys to go along with maybe a Mason Cole that you can, that you can at least say, We've got a little bit of continuity. Yep, I would agree there for the most part. Um, it'll it'll be interesting. Uh, it was interesting to me was with Miles when he said that when he was off of the team, you know, they went one in ten that season without him. He came back, only let up one sack that year. We'll we'll see exactly for that one if the pick is going to be uh if the pick is going to be a value one or not moving forward. Uh, we got two guys left at least. We can get that wrapped up. So what's uh, uh, interesting at least for the next pick was Michael Dogby out of Temple. He was a guy who when I've talked with some people, they said he's probably going to be a, a guy who's good enough to rotationally play because you'll be able to plug him in, say go get him, boy. <laughs> he'll just be able to go and hunt down with the quarterback so that's one of the things that was nice about him he's kind of a member of the 500 pound bench press 600 pound leg press club which there's even a lot of nfl players who obviously can't get to that so that's something that's interesting as far as just the brutal strength that he has uh, we played at temple similar to with the uh, same type of guy as hassan reddick so you're talking about a guy who's you know uh, some people even said you know the dog be the the dog in his name kind of sums him up as a prospect he's not a guy who's going to be as technically sound he's not a guy who's going to be uh you know a a player who's going to be going and pushing like you know double digit sacks or he, he's a guy who's going to be on the interior can rotate around he's got a lot of power um, but he's a guy who essentially is going to be uh, the best way I can look at it is you take a lot of the pluses that Robert Kimdichie had as far as being able to have, you know, any of the strong motor, being able to move forward with everything, being able to kind of just be able to throw guys out of the way. You'll get that. You're probably not going to get as well-rounded of an athlete. You're not going to get as, you know, he's going to still be out of his gap at times. 
Um, but he led the team in tackles for loss, and he's a guy who just ultimately is going to be a guy who's just going to you know shove and push and bull rush guys back into the quarterback, wear down a lot of those different blocks. And because of the way that his size is, he's at 6'3", 284. Maybe you put him a little bit outside. Maybe you put him even on the inside too. And uh, he's a guy who they said, hey, he's going to be on the depth chart. He'll be a rotational guy, never going to be a guy who's a pure starter. If you're lucky, maybe you end up getting a, This is a guy the Cardinals can say, hey, look back on. This is kind of our, our Rodney Gunter type pick for the Cardinals here. But what were your thoughts on Dog B, at least real quick, John? I think I read that he benched 505 pounds in the pre-draft process, which is insane. Um, so you know that he can handle himself uh, and, and definitely has a, a tremendous first step. Uh, I think that it's somebody that the Cardinals are going to look at as a practice squad player. I think that they, they're addressing two areas in which they grossly need an influx of talent, both on the offense, defensive line, you could throw receiver into that group. You know, the, they're, they're, they're set at outside pass rusher. They don't have great depth, but they have two capable outside pass rushers. Um, quarterback, you know, they've got an all-pro in David Johnson. You see the positions where they have, like, really concrete, you know, better players than a lot of other positions that they have. Um, but offensive line, no quality players to speak of, really. Defensive line, got a couple nice pieces, but again, nobody special to name. So they're trying to throw a lot at both of those position groups. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if any of these players are going to pan out late, but again, it would be nice to see contri- contributions from any of them. And, and I think he's got an opportunity of like, just with his, with his stature and his measurables to come in and contribute maybe on, on special teams. Uh, and he's got that athleticism that I think they were missing in a lot of their defensive linemen last year. So Again, he's somebody who can play that five technique, um, maybe kick out to the outside occasionally if, if, if he develops as a, as a four, three edge rusher when they rotate um, scenarios and uh, different looks on defense. But yeah, the, uh, a pick that I know was, was something that they were excited about being able to get him uh, so late on day three. So another, another, quality, uh, another quality pick. We'll just have to wait and see in the preseason. Yep, definitely. And then moving on to the last pick that we have for the Cardinals, Mr. Irrelevant himself. Uh, you never know because sometimes it's a name you recognize, which we've seen in past years with a, um, a few years ago, there was actually a cornerback that was taken or even a kicker at least one time when as Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, this year was Caleb Wilson, uh, tight end out of UCLA. I saw that. I was just like, oh, and <laughs> part of that was because I was one of the people who saw Caleb Wilson live at ASC where he caught over a hundred, I think it was like 140 yards, two touchdowns, just was like basically their offense. Uh, super productive player. Ironically, he joins the team after Josh Rosen has already left. He was Rosen's probably our favorite target in college outside of maybe Jordan Lastly uh, in that 2017 year. In 2018, he was a guy who got 60 balls for 965 yards. Uh, he was the obviously like first team Pac-12, uh, second team All-American. John, uh, just a quick kind of quiz. How many tight ends in college had more yards receiving last year than Caleb Wilson. And the answer at least is zero, at least for the draftable guys. No one else had more than 965 yards for Caleb Wilson. Uh, he was a guy who originally was, you know, a walk on had a basketball uh, thing. He was recruited as a quarterback, interestingly enough. Uh, what's interesting about him though, was he didn't test well athletically. Even you watch him on film, he kind of uses his hands. It has a weird type of shutter step to try to get separation where it kind of works in the PAC 12. You're not sure if it's going to work in an NFL level, but because of his savvy with being able to run the routes and the fact that he does at least have speed, uh, he ran in the four or fives for a 40 yard dash, which is you know pretty good to do. He's a little smaller guy. 
if he's going to be a guy who can at least fit what Cliff Kingsbury is looking for as, you know, a backup guy and play on special teams, um, maybe it doesn't matter that he's stiff. Maybe he's a guy who can essentially play the same role that Ricky Seals-Jones will, although I think Seals-Jones might be a better athlete. Perhaps this is a guy that's maybe a little bit more rounded as a tight end. And when you're looking at the Cardinals and drafting productive players, I can't fault them at all for trying to take, you know, one of the most productive tight ends, if not maybe the most uh, productive tight end as far as a pure receiving threat that we've seen in the draft. They're not going to be as much of a blocker, obviously, not just with that size, but just his experience. But yeah, I, I loved at least the fact that they decided to roll the dice on a guy who is a you know pretty consistent guy at the Senior Bowl. And uh, I think if there's going to be, it'll be interesting because he's either he's going to end up on the team and you're going to say, oh no, he's, he's not at all, or he's going to be one of those guys who sticks and carves out a, a pretty decent career with the Cardinals. Yeah, if you go back to that Texas A&M-UCLA game from 2017, the one that everybody got excited about when we drafted Josh Rosen, uh, the first thing that I did after we um, took Josh Rosen the night of the draft was double-check to make sure that Caleb Wilson was not also draft eligible, and of <laughs> course he wasn't. It's because he had uh, 15 receptions for 208 yards in that game against yep. Texas A&M when they came back down like 30-some-odd points. And so a lot of those highlights that I was binge-watching, it was of Caleb Wilson connecting with Josh Rosen. So I put it out there um, you know, late on day three. I said, wouldn't it be ironic if the Cardinals took Caleb Wilson now that Josh Rosen is gone? And then they ended up taking him. Um, and so I, I love the idea of keeping him on the roster. Um, somebody with, with uh, the ability to catch the football has a high upside from re- receiving position. Um, and I don't know how much Kingsbury is going to ask of his tight ends to block up front. I don't know if he, if he's going to require a ton. Uh, they just signed Max Williams today, former second round pick of the Baltimore Ravens, uh, Mad Max. And so he's had a disappointing career thus far. He's on the team. Caleb's on the team. You mentioned Ricky Seals, Jones, Charles Clay, Ricky and Charles, you would think, are going to be kind of your default starters. So that third tight end position, they're not going to carry four, um, could be between Caleb and Max. Um, I, I think Max probably has the advantage at this point because he's been in the league a little longer. So if you're able to stash Caleb on the practice squad, that's fine. But the criticisms I've, I've read against him is his, his body type. It's a little bit like kind of like a big mass in motion, right? He's not able con- to control his body all that, all that well. Obviously, he's got very capable hands. Um, and, and is a high academic, high character guy, went to UCLA. Um, the short intermediate passing game is very much his, his go-to. I think he's a tremendous red zone threat. I think if you're able to add somebody like him with his size, his body mass with the keen button in the red zone, you might have something. Um, and so I was excited because really in the seventh round, taking the last player available, are you going to take somebody that you know and that you think could be a player for you at some point, especially at a position the Cardinals really have no uh, consistent production out of? So um, I, I hope he makes the team. He's probably my favorite pick of the last two rounds, uh, dating back to Deontay Thompson. Um, and so I'm anxious to see if he can kind of carve out a role for him in this Kingsbury offense, because when you think about what could Kingsbury look for at the tight end position? For, for some reason, I, I go back and I think Caleb Wilson might be able to fit that role, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, well, that'll be something to look forward to, at least for that. And that'll basically wrap it up for our draft preview. I know we got a kind of a long show release tonight. We'll probably have this be the part two. We'll cut it up a little bit for you guys, and uh, we'll put both episodes uh, together. At least we'll release them, so that'll at least be kind of nice. That way, it's not going to be uh, you know one giant monolith of an episode that drops for the most part. We're having obviously more draft content that'll be coming for you guys. We're 
wanted to make sure that we could uh, kind of, we're trying our best to, to kill it as much as we can with our pods the next few days. And what we'll probably do at least next time is we'll, uh, we're bringing on at least a special guest that we'll have with Eric Edholm. He'll go over his draft grades. He's working with Yahoo, does some tremendous stuff. Also, does a great job every year of tracking where all of the uh, the undrafted free agents get signed. So we'll be able to go and preview some of those guys as well as take a look at the rest of the overall draft, a little bit around the NFL, and then wrap it up kind of with our expectations for the Cardinals with not just the rest of the off season, but we'll revisit our, uh, we'll revisit kind of our, our schedule preview that we gave out now that the Cardinals have added a few more guys have added a bit more talent. Now they seem to have an identity uh, Has our win expectation for this team changed. That's all I'll be coming up for you guys. At least thanks again for following the revenge of the birds podcast. So uh, if you guys could do a favor, if you're not already following uh, Johnny, do him, do him a solid at least after the men still obviously as the changes after he's had for 10 years poor Johnny's football as uh, RIP now uh, you can that press damn Kyler Murray deciding uh, not to play for the A's that yeah, really uh, screwed me pre- pressing F to pay their respects at least so follow Johnny touchdown is the new app make sure you follow that as well as our at ROTB pod or Revenge of the Birds podcast there obviously we're available on Apple podcast Google Spotify wherever you're looking for your podcast we can be there you can follow me as well at Blake Murphy 7 working on getting some more articles up this year uh, I should say uh, for the rest of this year at least I'm still good with Revenge of the Birds um, but for the rest of this week as well so thanks again for joining us guys um, take care and uh, you guys have a wonderful rest of your day uh, go Cards we're happy that we had a solid overall draft and we'll be back with more Cards content for you soon mm-hmm.